Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, I just want to add to um, Debbie's welcome to you today and just thank you for being with us again as we're online together this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at Psalm 95 together today, but before we do that, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're with us today. God, I thank you that you speak to us by your spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we just walk through this psalm together today, that God, that you speak to us individually. Um, Lord, that you draw us closer to you. Uh, Father, I pray that at this time that, you would, uh, that we would be growing in our devotion and our following of you, Lord God. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but this season is getting to be quite frustrating, isn't it? Being stuck at home all the time. Uh, the, 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 the few things that we get to do going out, like, f- for example, this, being able to come to the riverside to, to do this or being able to go to the shops are kind of just little joys in life of being able to get out of the house. But the longer this goes on for, the more frustrating it gets for all of us. At home, it's frustrating uh, for us with, with our children because they're getting frustrated and they're almost at the end of their tether, I think, in terms of how long they can go by being at home and stuck indoors all the time. Edie Blesser um, has been struggling to get the schoolwork done every day and is getting incredibly frustrated about the fact that she has to do any schoolwork at all because all she wants to do is uh, play uh, with her amazing toys or watch uh, Sophia the First, which is obviously a brilliant programme on TV, and she doesn't want to actually do any of the work. Um, and that's led to quite a bit of grumbling and moaning and complaining from her, and then grumbling and moaning and complaining from us back to her again. The thing is, and I feel sorry for her, because the thing is, we can all end up in a situation where the longer this goes on for, we can end up grumbling and complaining about the situation that we're in, and uh, almost like lose, lose focus a little bit. And I think uh, grumbling and complaining is something that we can all do as, as, as humans. I think we, we can all be given to it at times. When I was a, a teacher, I, pub, I purposefully tried to avoid going to the staff room because they, it was just a place where people moaned about absolutely everything and they gossiped about other people and they moaned about teachers or uh, um, pupils or uh, the leadership team. They, they just, there was moaning going on all the time and so I would avoid it um, like the plague. But then... Uh, I would end up in my department with my staff in my department moaning or complaining or grumbling about the people in the staff room. So I ended up grumbling and moaning about the people who were grumbling and moaning. It just seemed ridiculous. And and God taught me a bit of a lesson through it. But we can all end up in a situation where we moan and grumble about stuff. And uh, this situation is is actually what Psalm 95 speaks into. So we're going to read Psalm 95 together. And it's really around the focus of Uh, being grateful instead of grumbling. So let's have a a read of Psalm 95 together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it. And in his hands he formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our Lord and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, 
For 40 years, I loathed that generation. And I said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my oath, they shall not enter my rest. So here we have this psalm and it's a psalm in two parts, really. We have the the first part of this psalm is one of my favorite things to use at the start of a meeting. You've probably realized that already, that I've said this hundreds of times before, I think. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. You know, that's a great way to start a meeting. Um, But actually, it ends up in a a, a warning, a warning to the people reading it to not end up like the people who uh, try to um, kind of ask ask questions of God at, at at Meribah in Exodus. And so let's just have a little look at that together, shall we? So what happened in this situation in Exodus with these uh, Israelites? What, what, what happened uh, that meant that they put God to the test? Well, if we just track back a little bit to the end of Genesis and remind ourselves of what was going on in Exodus, first of all, uh, the, the, the Israelites uh, had, through Jacob and his sons, ended up in Egypt. And they ended up there because there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And they then uh, ended up staying there And they were there for 400 years. And as they were there, they did what God had told them to do, which was increase and multiply. And they were there. They filled a a large area of land. And 400 years later, Pharaoh got quite annoyed with them, the king of Egypt. And he uh, he was uh, kind of being harder and harder and harder on them. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh under God's command, asking that God, asking on behalf of God to let the people go. Maybe you remember the prince of Egypt. And eventually after these 10 plagues, the Israelites leave Egypt and they enter into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And then this amazing miracle event happens as they leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. And it's the miracle that gets quoted about most in the Psalms. It's the moment of God's deliverance of the Israelites from the hand from the hand of the oppressor of Pharaoh. And what happens is, is that they're about to cross the sea and God opens up a way for them to, to, to cross over. And they experience the miracle. These people are actually walking through the miracle of God. They, they used, as, as they're walking, their feet are walking on ground that God has just taken water away from. They'll be able to see on their left-hand side walls of water and on their right-hand side walls of water. And in their ears, they would hear the noise of the, of the waves and the, and the water as they walk through the sea. And they would have been seeing with their eyes all of the glory of God and what God was doing among them as they were walking through on dry land. And then they come out on the other side and they start grumbling and moaning and complaining, saying, is God really with us or not? Where is God in this situation? You know, it feels like we should go back to Egypt because now we're in the wilderness and there's nothing to eat and there's nothing to drink. And they start moaning and grumbling and complaining about lots of different things. And so you'll see the first thing that that happens is, is they moan about not having any food. And so God provides them with food. God provides them with manna from heaven, this uh, miracle food that as they come out of their tent every morning, there's like flakes on the ground. And these flakes are like the color of coriander and they taste like honey. And God provides quail for them to eat. And they get to eat roast quail every day. I mean, who wouldn't want to eat roast quail every day? And they grumble and they moan and they complain. And then they get thirsty. And they grumble and they moan and they complain. And they say, where's God in this? Where is God in this? We, 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 want, we want answers, Moses. Where is he? Why won't God provide for us? And so God provides for them. He provides water from a rock. 
But as we see here in this psalm, actually this grieves the heart of God. The fact that even in all of God's good acts for the Israelites, they can't see his goodness. They can't see past their grumbling and complaining to the goodness of God. And the psalmist here gives us reasons and gives us ways that we can actually overcome grumbling and complaining and refocus again on hearts grateful and grateful to God. And and he gives us a few different ways of looking at God as ways of being grateful to him. He gives us four ways. The first way that the psalmist gives us is to consider God as a creator. So you see this in verses four and five. It says, in his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form dry land. So the psalmist is painting a picture here of a creator God who makes everything, who makes the things up high and the things down low. So, you know, Israel is quite a hilly country. The, the, the Israelites who would have, have read this psalm and sung this psalm would be thinking about the peaks that they could see in the distance and the valleys they'd walked through. And they'd think about the sea that they could see at times and the land that they could see. And basically, the psalmist is painting an image that God has created all of it, that he's made it all. That's the first image that the psalmist gives of God here, God as a creator. The second image that we see here is God as a king. Verse 3 says this, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now, we might have a question here. I, I, I thought that we, were, we believed in one God. Well, actually, look, when you read the Old Testament, you find that the Israelites keep creating gods and idols for themselves. They keep chasing after other things to worship. You know, they don't just grumble and complain about God. They actually try and then create other other gods and worship the gods of other people constantly. And and so we, we could look at that and go, well, that was just hundreds of years ago. That doesn't apply to now. But actually, it does apply to now. Because for all of us, we were made to worship You and I were made to worship. We were intrinsically designed by God to be worshippers. And if you don't worship God, you end up worshipping something else. And the things you worship are basically performing like functional little gods for you. They're idols to you. They're things that you fashion or that you worship that aren't God. So, for example, you could end up worshipping your job or your family or a football team. They could become an object of worship for you. And here, what the psalmist says is that God is king above all other gods. God is the one worthy of praise beyond all else. And actually, God tells us to destroy our idols and to worship the true and living God. And actually here, what what it's saying is that God is the king above all other gods. So the gods of other nations, it's saying, well, no, there's no comparison. God is the king above all gods. God is the only true God. He is the true king on the throne. And then we see this third picture of God in this psalm. You see, we see him as the king on the throne on one hand, but then we see him as the shepherd on the other. Verse 7 says this, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. So here we see God, the the king on the throne, stepping off the throne to be the shepherd, to be the one who steps in to take care of his people. You know, and as his people constantly wander away, God, as the shepherd, draws them back again. Jesus says in John, I am the good shepherd. Jesus actually points really to to the the, the image that he is God through that as well. He's saying, look, I am the good shepherd. I I am God the shepherd over your lives. You can follow me. We see actually in that picture that Jesus is demonstrating that he is both the shepherd, but he is also the king as well. And uh, I, I spoke about this on my, uh, in my 
devotional on Wednesday, I spoke about the, the storms in, in Psalm 93 and actually how Jesus is king over the storm in Luke 8. And Jesus demonstrates all of these different pictures about God, that he is a, a creator, that he, uh, he was there in Genesis. We also see Jesus as the king having authority over, as I've just said, Luke 8, over the, the wind and the waves. We see Jesus as a shepherd, but also we see him as a saviour. And that's the final image that we see here in Psalm 95. So Psalm 95 says this, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You know, our salvation is found in Jesus alone. And Jesus, as I've just said, fulfills these four different pictures of God. He's the creator, he's the king, he's the shepherd, and he's the saviour. And we can worship him and know that actually as we worship him, we can know gratefulness in our hearts as we worship him for what he's done for us. But we can also know that Jesus is the, the one who's walked through life and never grumbled or moaned or complained. There's that image that actually was painted for us just a couple of weeks ago by Phil Wilfie from Luke 4 of Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus goes through a wilderness situation for 40 days. It's very similar. It parallels a lot to these, these Israelites walking through the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus walks through the wilderness, and as he walks through the wilderness, he doesn't give way to doubt and to fear and to grumbling and complaining. Instead, he continues to trust God. And Satan tests him, doesn't he, in those 40 days. And Jesus says back to Satan, don't put the Lord your God to the test. What's Jesus referring to there? He's actually referring back to our story. He's referring to that time when the Israelites put God to the test. And he's saying, you mustn't do that, and I'm not going to do that. You see, in Jesus, we've got one who's done all that we couldn't do. You and I are given to grumble and complain, but Jesus didn't grumble or complain. Jesus lived a life that was perfect, that we might know God and have a relationship with him. Jesus was a better Israelite than all other Israelites. And that's what we see here um, in this psalm, we see actually the God who is a saviour, who comes in to our situation as a shepherd, who actually demonstrates, and Jesus demonstrated this in his life, that he is a better Israelite than all other Israelites, the perfect Jew. You say, oh, what's our response to then to this? Actually, what the psalmist is saying here is don't, don't let your heart grow hard. Don't let your heart grow hard. Don't be given way to a hardness of heart. We, we, we see uh, this whole idea of, of, heart, of, of the heart here a lot, actually, that, that we need to keep actually bringing our hearts before God in worship and adoration and reminding ourselves of who our saviour is in worship. As I've said already, Jesus was the one who, uh, who actually fulfilled the law and did all uh, that the Israelites could never do. But actually, sometimes we can be given to a hardness of heart. Sometimes we can allow our situations to create a, a, almost a callousness in us. You know, we become cold to God. Have you ever prayed the prayer, don't, don't let my heart grow, grow cold, God? Don't let my heart grow hard. Lord, would you keep my heart soft? Lord, I want to have a soft heart towards you. I want to hear what you want for me. I want to see what you want me to do. I want to hear your voice for my life. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you said, God, don't let me uh, give in to fear or the temptation to grumble or complain? Lord, keep my heart soft. Don't harden your hearts, writes this psalmist but instead worship God. And there are two ways that the psalmist gives here that we should worship God. One is in praise and thanksgiving. That's what's uh, indicated here by verses one to five. It talks about making a joyful noise to God. Let us sing to God's. You know, we worship God in praise and adoration. But there's another way we worship God as well, and it's, 
It's, it's one that we don't often talk about. Verse 6 is this. I come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. The psalmist is saying here, actually, worship is about obedience. It's about following. James says, don't be like those who, uh, who, look, who hear the word and then uh, turn away and forget what, you've, forget what you've heard. Actually, we're called to be obedient to the voice of God. We're called to be obedient to what God says to us. But within that, we're also called to keep being grateful for what God's done. We must keep being grateful for what God's done in our lives. So here's some questions for you today. Is your heart hard before God? Is your heart hard? Are you, have you got a hardness of heart about you at the moment? Are you, are you feeling kind of hard about the situation that we're in? Or maybe you've just kind of switched off to God. Maybe at the moment as you've been at home and you've been stuck there, you've not engaged with God at all and your, your heart has become gradually harder and harder to the things of God. Because maybe you, like these Israelites, are questioning, where is God in all of this? You know, it's not, it's, it's not wrong to question where is God, but actually the answer to that should always be to turn back to God and say, no, I know, God, you're there because you're the creator, you're the shepherd, you're the king. You know, actually, and you're my saviour. They're the ways that we should do that. When we, we feel those questions, that's, that's how we should turn back to God. But maybe you're in a situation at the moment where you just have a hardness of heart towards God. And you've got hard in your thinking towards it. Maybe you've taken to moaning and complaining about our current situation. Maybe you've been complaining to others about the media. Maybe you just have been complaining constantly about it. Maybe you've been complaining about the government. or oh, the government should do this. The government should do that. Maybe you've given to complaining about us as a church. Maybe you think we should or shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z at this time at the moment. Maybe you've given to complaining about your neighbours. Maybe they're making too much noise or they're being rude to you. Maybe you've given over to complaining. Maybe you've given over to complaining about your spouse to other people or your children. I wasn't complaining about my children earlier on. I was just sharing a story with you. But maybe you've given over to complaining or being frustrated or getting angry with them. You know, maybe your heart has become hard. And the, the encouragement here from this psalm is to not let our hearts grow hard but to focus our attention again on worship, to focus our attention again on Jesus, the one who came and lived a perfect life and actually fulfilled the law that we might know God. The psalmist here is encouraging us to come to God with our praise and adoration to him. So lastly, this. Jesus, um, Jesus is asked a question uh, by, by, by someone. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus quotes the Shema, the Shema is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And it's, it's the prayer that, 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 that Jews often pray. And the prayer in, in Deuteronomy says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. And then he says another one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So within that, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, actually, you need, to, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your might, with all of your heart, with, with everything that you have. Love the Lord your God. You know, and, and I think in that, there, there is a, a, a sense in which that sometimes can be quite difficult. You know, loving, loving someone is not just a feeling, but it's an action. Actually, when we love somebody, we, we actually don't just... Do, we don't just kind of say, well, I, I just love them because I feel this way. We demonstrate our love for them by what we do. So, for example, I demonstrate my love for my wife, Claire, not through feelings, but through 
uh, through loving her, through actions, through uh, serving her, through caring for her, through hopefully being a good husband to her. I demonstrate my love through what I do. Romans says that God demonstrates his love for us in the fact that Jesus came to die for us. See, God's love isn't just a feeling. God's love resulted in action. And actually, as we love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength, that means turning away from a hardness of heart and turning back to God with a softness and saying, God, I just love you. I want to worship you with everything I have. Jesus' command to us is one that is still relevant today. We're called to love the Lord our God with everything we have. So how do we, how do we resist grumbling? How do we resist complaining? What we do is we turn to God in worship. We turn to God in adoration and we say, look, God, I'm going to be grateful for what you've done in my life. I'm going to be grateful for the fact that you have created me, that you've made me, that you're God, my creator. I'm going to turn away from grumbling by reminding myself, God, that you are my shepherd, that you came to care for me, that you look after me. I'm going to remind myself of who you are, God, as my king, that you're on the throne, that you reside over the situations that I face. God, I'm not going to grumble or complain. God, I'm going to be grateful that, God, you are on the throne this morning. And lastly, God, I'm going to remind myself that you're my saviour, that you died for me, that you came to take my place, that you lived a perfect life, a life that fulfilled the law, that I might know God. You see, all of those reasons, as we start to consider those things, they take us away from grumbling, away from complaining, and they set our hearts again before God. They remind us of who God really is and what he's really done for us. And so my encouragement to you today is, as you walk through this season, is don't harden your heart, but keep your heart soft before God and keep coming to him in worship and praise and adoration, asking that God will continue to meet with you, that his presence will continue to fill you, and that as you walk through this season, that you grow in your understanding and knowledge of God. Because I think there's something very true about the fact that we're, we're, as we walk through this season, we could have one of two responses. We could either grow more and more frustrated. This season could become a, a season of frustration for each of us. Or we could grow in our formation. We could be formed before God. We could grow and be, allow God to shape us. We could have soft hearts that are willing to be moulded by God into who he wants us to be as individuals and as a church community. This time is a time of formation for each one of us. And I'm praying for each of you that you don't give way to frustration, but that you keep asking God, God, keep my heart soft, that you might form me into who you want me to be. Lord, I'm just going to keep worshipping you in my situation. So we're going to do that in a minute. Andy's going to come back and sing to us a couple of songs. And we're just going to worship God as we close the meeting together. I've asked Andy to sing great things and, um, and so we're just going to remind ourselves of the fact that God has done great things. He's the hero of heaven, the one who's conquered the grave. And as you do that, actually, maybe you should be praying a prayer as well. God, would you keep my heart soft? Maybe for you today, your heart has grown hard and you need to just go, God, would you just re-soften my heart? Remind me of who you are. Lord, that I can walk through this season and be formed by you into who you want me to be. Let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you demonstrate all of these characteristics of God we see in Psalm 95. You're the, the, the creator. God, you are, Jesus, you are the king on the throne in heaven. Jesus, you're the shepherd, the one that we can trust and, and, and lean into when times are difficult. And Jesus, you're our saviour. You're the rock of our salvation, the one that we can build our lives upon. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through the next week, God, that our hearts wouldn't grow hard, 
that we wouldn't be given to complaining like the Israelites were in the wilderness as they suffered through those trials. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft before you, uh, uh, grateful before you for all that you've given us and all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of us at home today. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one of us and that this time would not be a time of frustration, but a time of formation. Amen.